0: Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Evan with the message. So over Thanksgiving this year, Abby and I had the chance to attend Venice Presbyterian Church. It's where my father was a pastor for over 20 years. I grew up there, and the congregation there has become like family to me. Many there support my work with college students to this day, and I am eternally grateful for the love that I was shown as a member of that church. I often joke that I have like 16 moms at one time. The service we attended there was a familiar one, not because I'd experienced it before, but because every service there is familiar to me. Each week, the congregation gathers. We have a call to worship. We sing hymns. We confess our sins collectively and hear an assurance of pardon. The kids go to kids' church, and the pastor preaches. It's a comforting routine for me when I experience it back home. I was reflecting on that visit with Derek this week, and I realized that the only part of that service that really jumped out at me and stuck with me was a hymn that we sang midway through that service. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, revealed in us. His name is called Emmanuel. This tune has repeated over and over in my head since our visit. Frequent enough to require contemplation, but faded enough just so it's not annoying. As I prepared to preach this message, I found myself at a loss as to what scripture to preach on. I had ideas about what we should talk about and what God was maybe trying to say, but I couldn't land anywhere in scripture. And therefore, I consulted the lectionary passages for this week. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, the lectionary is a sort of schedule of scripture readings that's used by church communities. They usually contain an Old Testament and a New Testament reading, a psalm and a reading from one of the four Gospels. You may or may not know that we utilize the lectionary here each week in our psalm reading. If the psalm today struck you as kind of melancholy for the week before Christmas, it's because it is. And I read it this week, and I wrote a whole sermon based on that psalm, but then we threw it out. It's a true story. I'm a bit of an Old Testament nerd. So I zeroed in on the Old Testament reading from the book of Isaiah and parked myself there in agony all week. Hear now the words of the Lord given to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. from Judah, the king of Syria. I have a saying that I use with my students, especially when we study the Old Testament, and that is that context is key. Context is key. To rightly understand a story, we must understand the context. The context of the story is the key to unlocking its meaning. So nerd out with me a little bit here. Now we know that King David ruled over Israel as their greatest king. Most of you have probably heard of stories of or read stories of King David. He was succeeded by his son Solomon, who also reigned over the 12 tribes of Israel. So under David, the 12 tribes of Israel were united in one kingdom And David and his son Solomon ruled over those tribes. Solomon, however, strays farther than his father, taking many wives and worshiping pagan gods. Upon his death, his son Rehoboam ascends to the throne. And under the advice of his friends, he rules with a heavy hand, imposing harsh taxes on the people. His authoritarian rule is the final straw on top of a pile of grievances. And the ten northern tribes revolt, led by the tribe of Ephraim. This successful revolt is the end of the United Kingdom of Israel, splitting the nation into the northern kingdom of Israel, which also becomes known as Ephraim, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, you with me? So we have two kingdoms now, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Fast forward and these nations end up in a geopolitical conflict with each other and the nations around them. Derek, if you could throw that map up there, did we get it? Wait for, aha, look at that. I love maps. I had an Old Testament professor that said you can't study the Old Testament without a map. And, because I'm fancy, I got a pointer. Phew! How about that? That was a brief moment of joy in my week of agony. So, if you notice, we have down here the southern kingdom of Judah. And up here we have the northern kingdom of Israel. And up here, you can kind of see, is the kingdom of Syria, who is also mentioned in our passage today. So the king of Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, and Syria, farther north, have allied themselves against the empire of Assyria, which is like up here. It is not on this map. So these two northern kingdoms have allied themselves against the empire of Assyria, who is pressing in on them from the north. Ephraim, or Israel, again, remember the revolt was led by the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim and Syria seek to add the southern kingdom of Judah to their alliance against Assyria. Yet Ahaz, the king of Judah, refuses and plans to seek aid from the Assyrians. Now, what's, what's good to know is that this northern kingdom is disobedient faster than the southern kingdom of Judah. And it is through this southern kingdom of Judah that God plans to carry on the Davidic line, the line of David to whom he promised the throne, So, Judah the good guys, Israel, Syria the bad guys. Assyria, the really bad guys. So the Lord sends Isaiah, the prophet, to King Ahaz to encourage him. Remember, Ahaz is the king of Judah. Isaiah delivers a word that the kings of Israel and Syria will come to nothing. And that Ahaz should stand firm in faith. In the God of his fathers. All of this happens directly before the passage that we read this morning. And then we come to the passage this morning where he again encourages Ahaz to be faithful, to not give in. The Lord even offers a sign of Ahaz's choosing to prove his faithfulness. As high as the heavens or to the depths of Sheol, God says, indicating his willingness to prove to Ahaz in any way, shape, or form that he is trustworthy. Ahaz, however, refuses. Feigning piety, Ahaz declines. His true motive, however, is likely one of reluctance. If he asks for a sign and God delivers, he'd be forced into a situation in which he would either have to trust God or willfully ignore the sign that he himself asked for. Ahaz had likely already made up his mind to cast his lot with the Assyrians. You see, Ahaz planned to go to the Assyrians in the far north and pay them to take out the two kingdoms in the north before he was taken out. And this fits. You see, Ahaz is not a good king. He completely departed from the faith of his fathers and engaged in pagan practices, including the sacrifice of his own children. The Lord's response to Ahaz's denial is one of rebuke. Not only does Ahaz weary men with his sin, but also God. Despite the sin of Ahaz, God gives a sign. Hear again the word of God from Isaiah. It's time starting in, or in chapter, or excuse me, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son So what does this mean? God's chosen sign is that of a child to be called God with us. His promise is that before the child knows how to choose the good over the evil, the two kingdoms which threaten Judah will come to nothing, and it comes to pass. The two kingdoms are overtaken by the Assyrians. So Emmanuel... God with us comes as a sign of hope. However, there is more to it than that. First of all, it's said that the child shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to choose the good over the evil. While there's some debate over this, scholars seem to indicate that these foods would be eaten in a land that has been devastated and by a nomadic people. In a land left uncared for, spoiled milk and wild honey would be common and the food that the people would eat rather than meat and grains, foods that take time. In addition, think back to our contextual history from earlier. Israel split into two kingdoms, Ephraim in the north and Judah in the south, marked a massive blow. To the nation of Israel. The kingdom of God's chosen people, united under King David, comes to a bitter end. So while God promises that the Israelite and Syrian invaders will come to nothing, He also indicates that Assyria will become the downfall of the kingdom of Judah, leaving the land in devastation. God will judge the sins of his people by giving them over into the hands of the earthly empire that they have chosen to trust. Emmanuel comes to God's chosen people as a sign of hope, but also as a sign of devastation. Judah's faithlessness and decision to trust in worldly wisdom will have deep and far-reaching consequences. Ahaz chooses to trust the Assyrians, and they do prevent Judah from being overtaken. However, it is Assyria that eventually overtakes Judah. The very thing that Ahaz put his faith in becomes his nation's downfall. Both Israel and Judah would eventually be conquered, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. God's chosen people would be forced into exile, And when they are finally able to return to the promised land, it would be as a shell of the kingdom they once were, continually subject to the empires of their day. The story of Ahaz is one that is repeated over and over again in scripture. The characters are different, but the situation is the same. The people of God are placed in a situation where they can choose to trust God's wisdom for their lives, or they can go their own way. They can choose to live into God's story, or they can attempt to write their own. Time and again, the results are the same. God's people choose to abandon their relationship with the loving creator God, who bends over backwards to lead them toward what they were always meant to be. God would be fully within his rights to walk away, to destroy the human race and start over from scratch. But that isn't the God that we serve. Being an Old Testament nerd, it's hard for me when we read something in the, New, uh, excuse me, the Old Testament and then jump right to how it points to Jesus. The stories of the Old Testament are deep and rich and deserve to be wrestled with and understood in their own context, which is why we've spent so much time this morning studying this passage in Isaiah. But to read the Old Testament without properly understanding its trajectory is to leave the story unfinished. If we were to leave this story at the devastation of Israel, God could be understood as petty and vindictive. But God is faithful, even when humanity is unfaithful. Hear today's gospel reading from the lectionary. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It's hard for me to read this passage without feeling a little bit like I'm tacking Jesus on at the end of the sermon. And there's a temptation to spend time unpacking the story of Joseph and how he fits into the story so as to do, this, to, to do justice to this passage. But what I think is most important about this passage in the context of today's message is to see it as the continuation of God's faithfulness to his people. Let me say that again. What I think is most important about this passage in the context of today's message is to see it as a continuation of God's faithfulness to his people. There are a number of scholars who would say that Ahaz and his rejection of God's offer is what ultimately leads to the downfall of Israel. Into to their being carried away into exile. And I can't help but wonder that if there were Israelites in exile that read the words of Isaiah and this story and wrestled with them, as I have this week, how can God be with us in this devastation? Matthew, by connecting his birth story to the story of Ahaz, shows that God's promise to be with us reaches its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. God, glorious and majestic in his love and his mercy toward his people, steps down from glory to be present in the chaos and the suffering of his people, despite their broken and sinful hearts. To understand the significance of God's incarnation requires us to see the unworthiness of the people that He came to save. Through this series, we've talked about how Advent is a time of preparation for the coming of the King. Christ has come, and promises to come again. And our calling as followers of Christ is to live into the kingdom now, even as it is yet on its way. The now and the not yet. And I don't know about you, but I struggle day in and day out to say yes to God and no to my own passions and desires And so often I find myself drawn to human wisdom, just as Ahaz was. My heart longs to be faithful to King Jesus, but my flesh is weak, and I fall far short of what I am created to be. Ahaz is but one example of humanity's bent towards unfaithfulness. Yet the story of Ahaz, when rightly understood, isn't about Ahaz's unfaithfulness, but rather it is about God's faithfulness. God extends a hand to Ahaz in his time of need, willing to offer proof of his faithfulness. And even when Ahaz refuses, God still offers a sign. With hope. The good news of the gospel is that God is always faithful. In the midst of Ahaz's faithlessness, God is faithful, warning them, but allowing them to experience the consequences of their choices. What we uncover as we read the scriptures is that God has always been present with his people. From the moment that he created humanity, he has walked with them, not always face to face, but never far off, leading and guiding them even when they were incapable of doing so capable of listening to him in the tension of the now and the not yet i think we often fumble through life we do it imperfectly but we serve a god who is good and is gracious is mighty and full of mercy. I think that sometimes the best thing that we can do is to repent, is to stand before God and say, you know me. You know who I am. You know the depths of my soul. You know how hard my heart is at times. Forgive me. And I think that repentance should lead us to worship. One of the things I love about Venice, the church that I grew up in, is we confess our sins every week. Corporately, together, we say we have sinned, we have fallen short of who God has called us to be. And that is not new to us. That is a story that is repeated time and time again in the scriptures. But what always comes after the confession of sin is the assurance of pardon. That if we turn our lives to God, if we trust in Jesus who became human to do what we could not do, that there is forgiveness. And that part of that forgiveness is an invitation into a new life. And, and friends, uh, there are differing beliefs, but I tend to think that repentance is not something we do once and then we're done with, but it is something that we do day in and day out. We confess that we're hopeless, that without Christ we have no hope, that devastation is imminent. But in Christ is the offer of forgiveness, is the offer of acceptance and welcome into the kingdom. That God's faithfulness has made a way for us, for you and for me to be made right with God. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.